the Pillars of Health podcast with strength coach John Carroll, coming to you from the Movement Lab in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're about to dive into everything you need to know when it comes to strength and conditioning, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Check us out on movementlabrally.com and coachjohncarroll.com. And now your host, John Carroll. Delighted to be joined by a good friend of mine, Danny Lazarus. Welcome, Danny. Hey, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, I worked with, with Danny in Boston for a couple of years. Uh, I got to know him. Uh, very knowledgeable, very uh, smart coach and individual. Definitely blessed to have crossed paths in Boston while I was there. And uh, just for everyone listening, Danny, just kind of uh, fill us in on where you're located right now and what your role is. So I'm currently I, I'm currently the personal training manager for Equinox Sportsbook in Boston. Um, I've been with Equinox for six years now. Um, it'll be my six-year anniversary, I think, April 15th. And I've been through a few different clubs, so I kind of started there as a trainer back in 2013 and then decided to get into the management role a few years later and I've been doing that since. Awesome, awesome. Well, we could dedicate a whole podcast to our stories from working together. But... I, seriously, <laughs> seriously, that was... That was uh, yeah, I, I when I tell those stories, I can tell people kind of think I'm making it up, and I'm not. Yeah, it's, uh, no, they it's all too real. It's all too true. <laughs> yeah. I have the therapy pills to prove it. <laughs> they are still real in our minds. So. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We're gonna get get going with the icebreaker, and this one um, definitely kind of linked to uh, our devotion to hip hop and and our uh, you know love of hip hop overall. And I just want to get what was like the fashion statement from back in the day that perhaps you you wish you never actually made there could be tall many I, I, know, I know there's many for me but what's yours tall tees tall tees yeah. hands down tall tees yeah yeah the OD like I don't know how I got roped into that but yeah that was more like it was less than 90 it was more like early 2000s but right yeah right yeah that was that was easily I don't know I don't know how we got there but we got there <laughs> what was yours uh, oh man there was there was a few there was a few I gotta say I will say like when when I was a teenager and I was, you know, rocking, rocking out to Tupac and, and Biggie and, and Nas, and, you know, I was literally the only person wearing Timberlands and baggy jeans. And I just, okay. I just got these weird looks in my, you know, <laughs> just walking down the street because everybody, everybody didn't dress like that, you know, and yeah, it, I, I felt like an alien, to be honest with you, so... So um, most of us from most of us from New York, we thought that the baggy jean Timberland look originated in Ireland, and that we were just following <laughs> it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm surprised. Just like, <laughs> just like there's one kid over there, and he wears Timberlands yeah. and baggy jeans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. All right, so that was unique. Uh, yeah, 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 I can see that. Cool. Um, cool. But yeah, there was there was a few. I won't get into all of them right now. But I, I do remember the tall tees because I came over to the U.S. in like early two thousands on a soccer scholarship, and I remember yeah. tall tees were big. Yeah. And I went into a, <laughs> literally big, right? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna make the obvious, just like let it go. Um, but I went. I remember going into like a champ sports and trying one on. And I was like, I cannot pull this off. Don't even try. <laughs> Like Tim's a baggy jeans, yes, but there's got to be a limit. There's got to be a limit. No one, no one's going to take me in the racial draft if I go with a tall jeans. <laughs> like that's it. That was that's the gateway. You cross the line into tall tees, I you know you're wearing a do rag. <laughs> then there's no going back. You know, like, sir, I'm sorry. We're going to need to ask you to leave. That's right. <laughs> every, anyway, every race has asked me to leave. Oh. Every race, yeah. No one's like, we're all confused. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, so um, yeah, let's kind of get a little background on yourself, like where you grew up, kind of like your journey growing up, and to how or what made you want to become a strength coach and and kind of pursue the, the avenue you've obviously pursued. Yeah, sure. So uh, it was a cold, snowy night in December when my mother <laughs> went into labor. No, um, no. So I so I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, originally, like the early years of my childhood and teenage years. I was born in Jersey, didn't really stay. Was a baby, we went to move to Brooklyn. Um, so I kind of grew up in that, and my parents were divorced. I kind of grew up in two neighborhoods, like one was Sunset Park and one was East Flatbush, which was, you know, I, I don't know. I, looking back, I appreciate it because I got to be around so many different cultures and so many different people. I got to embrace so much that I think it, it serves you well when you work with people and you have to have that ability. Yeah. And, and we moved around a little bit, you know, like once, uh, you know, after a while I was, I was, you know, went through elementary school and it's junior high and the next thing you know, we moved to, to Queens, a whole different neighborhood, like, which doesn't sound far, but if you know New York, you know that like. 
one neighborhood in Brooklyn to another neighborhood in Queens and feel like you moved across the country. So I was there for a couple of years and then ended up moving to Las Vegas, Nevada while I was in high school. My, uh, we had a couple of uh, aunts and uncles out there that had moved a few years prior. And uh, we were visiting. We were like on spring break and we were visiting my mom, myself, my sister, my stepfather at the time. And, uh, you know, they fell in love with like the, like the cost of living. You know, I think we got like a four bedroom, you know, brand new home with a, you know, two car garage and a pool for like, I think $125,000 back then. So right. kind of nuts. And so, you know, wasn't really my choice, but we moved to Las Vegas, and that was, you know, a little culture shock. But I think through all that, I just got used to having to adapt to, like, making new friends and just meeting new people. And the way I usually kind of meshed in that was through some kind of sports or athletics. You know, so I was huge into basketball as a kid. I was also really into, like, skateboarding and BMX racing and, and freestyle riding. So anything that was, like, uh, either on the court or a little bit risky on wheels, I was into it. And I was able to find, like, I'd bond with people. Like, if I had to move and acclimate and get used to a new area, it was very easy to just make friends that wanted to skate together or go play ball. So it just kept me interested in just athletics in general, um, just throughout my youth. And when I I stayed out there for college, um, but I wasn't really in that mindset of getting into training yet. I really wasn't into, like, strength training. I didn't really understand it. I just went went to school for fine arts. But when I moved back to New York in uh, 2001, I, uh, you know, I got like an office job and just did the whole thing. And, and I spent a lot of time there. Like I wasn't playing sports anymore. I wasn't doing anything. I was working like 10, 12 hour days and sitting at a desk all day. And I had missed all the food that I hadn't had in New York. You know, if you, if you miss a New York slice or you miss, uh, you know, a beef patty and cocoa bread or all the stuff that's kind of hard to get if you leave the city, yeah. you overindulge. So, you know, <laughs> two years and another like 30, 35 pounds later, I was like, I wouldn't nothing like myself. And I was like, okay, I, I probably start hitting the gym again. Yeah. In college, like, with my buddies, like that's where I started lifting weights. Like while I was in college, that's where I kind of caught the bug about strength training, bodybuilding, okay. really getting into that. So that's what I started for me, but I got away from it. And when I kind of felt like I lost myself, I started getting back in the gym and just pushing it again. And I actually got really good results after a while. And I, what I found I enjoyed was like actually just talking about it and like it wasn't like my results, but it was like someone would come up and be like, "Hey, I've noticed you're doing really well. Like, what are you doing? Would you mind telling me what your workouts are like?" Mm-hmm. And I was happy to share, but I just really enjoyed that conversation. And the more I did that, the more I had those conversations, the more I was in the gym, the more I just enjoyed the culture, just the, you know, the, the, um, just the idea of self-improvement. And right. I liked the fact that I felt like I was helping other people and it inspired me to look at the personal training. Um, so that's basically where that all started. Okay. And basically from there, how did you, how did you make your way to Boston and how did you end up like busy? Cause you've been in Boston now, how long? Oh, uh, going on 13 years now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, about 12 years, about 12 and a half years. Okay. <laughs> Came up here with a girl. Um, so I had been dating this girl for a couple of years in New York. Uh, she wasn't from New York. She was, like, from Northwest. And, um, you know, we've been together a couple of years, so it was, you know, it was pretty serious. Um, and she got a, a grad school scholarship to MIT. And I wasn't in fitness yet. I had been really interested in getting personal training, but I, one thing that if you, if you haven't done it before and you don't know, like, you know, you're starting your own business. So if you want to dive into becoming a personal trainer, you have to be financially ready to, like, either have some good savings set up or be ready to not make money for a little while because you have to get clients before you're making money. And so I've been installing on this for a long time, probably about a year or two, where I had just been waiting for the right time, but I never really did it. So with this girl, when she was coming up here, I moved up here with her and I kind of looked at it as a fresh start. So, you know, I was, I was a, interestingly enough, I was a FedEx driver at the time in New York. So that was, a, that's another story for another podcast. But, um, <laughs> but when I moved up here, I could have transferred, but I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite the bullet. I have some money saved. It's going to be, I'm going to be living kind of lean and mean for a little while, but uh, I'm going to take a shot at this and, you know, signed up to get my certification, took the necessary steps. And when I moved up here, I just walked into the nearest like commercial gym I could find, which was that BSC that we worked at. And uh, it was, you know, near the house walking distance. I had researched a company when I was in New York. I walked in and applied and things worked out and I got hired and that's, that's kind of where I started. Right. Yeah. And again, the Boston Sports Club in Central Square, we could literally do a podcast on that alone and our experiences yeah, there. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, I could write a book. I really wish we could. Um, it, it would be entertaining and it would seem like fiction. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, so, so from there, let's get into basically your experience from your years in the fitness industry. And it's coming okay. up on, on 15 years, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I, I so I, I've been a full-time trainer for about 13 years. Uh, prior to that, I actually, when I was living in New York, I was working for a Gold's Gym. And I think when I started really getting into the idea of being a trainer, I didn't want to dive in too soon. So I took a front desk job at a Gold's Gym just to be in the atmosphere and just to pick people's brains and learn. 
I was between jobs when I did it, so I was kind of doing it full time. I ended up becoming like an like an assistant supervisor, like kind of an assistant manager in the club. Did that for about a year, and then when I got the FedEx gig, I kept the the gym job for like part time, just just for the free membership. So I think you know a couple of years in that, um, I really like gave me good exposure to just gym culture and just watching trainers and watching how they operate and just watching clients and members and like you know what what really drove them. So yeah, so that that's been the timeline. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so we wanted to kind of center around, obviously, your experience in the fitness industry and really just get, like, your five biggest takeaways. Let's go ahead and delve into the first one. So you mentioned that, number one, it's all about them. Can you kind of explain what exactly that means? Um, well, for your clients. If you're a personal trainer, you're a strength coach, um, you know, it, it's – I've probably done it. I've seen it. You know, you, you can kind of get – get lost in your own sauce a little bit in right. terms of what you think is like appropriate for like what you think the right approach to fitness is, what you think the right approach to strength is or performance. It's a little bit different when you're training like athletes in a strength coaching, strength conditioning facility because they literally are all there to be better athletes. So it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. But as a personal trainer, you're literally training general population. You might have some athletes that like that's where they're going for their coaching. But most, most people are just going to a gym. They want to feel better, look better, be more confident. And they might have some things they just aren't comfortable doing or they might have an approach that they, um, you know, or their goals might be something that seems like doesn't seem as important to you as something else, but you still have to keep that in mind. Like they're paying you to, to, to get them their result and get them what they want to, to improve their lives. Right. So I think when you look at somebody that, you know, comes in, they want to lose body fat and they want to tone certain parts of their body, but they have no interest in fixing like their mobility and they're just, you know, they're just like a bag of rocks sitting in front of you trying to bend in half. Right. And you, can, you know you know, you need to spend like extensive time doing like mobility and activation. You have to learn how to dance that fine line and to kind of slip the pill in the dog food and, and get them to understand, you know, get them to do the things they need to do, but you still have to make them feel like you're, you're their, their end goal is in mind. Right. And just, sometimes it's just communication and sometimes it's just the approach to the workouts. Yeah. And I would definitely say like that, that for me as a new trainer or – um, an inexperienced trainer, right? That is the biggest challenge because you go into all these grand ideas about how you want people or to coach people and what you want to accomplish. But yeah. if you're not addressing what they want, number one, you're going to lose them pretty quick. Yeah. You're going to lose them. You might hurt them. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, or, uh, and more than anything else, even if you don't lose them, it's kind of like at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, what, what, how do they feel coming out of their time with you? You know, and I think we both have, I'm sure you've met with multiple clients over the years that, had a trainer in the past and not that they bashed the trainer or had a bad experience but they probably were able to express how like well we didn't really focus on what i wanted to focus on and right. so i think the more i heard that the more i realized like okay i don't want to be that guy like you know i want to be safe i want to be effective but i want to make sure they know that like your job is to pay and get to help you get where you want to be and that's um i think that's the biggest takeaway i think yeah. for me it was like and it just and it gets you to learn more it gets you to want to open up your toolbox and, and continue your education to learn more so you can serve more people right sure right sure and as well as that like once you are on that journey with the client and you know over time as they begin to trust you more and more that's when i feel like yes you can introduce the things maybe a little bit more of what they need as perhaps to what they want and they trust you so they're they're kind of more on board with that right 100 percent, 100 percent. they have to trust you first if they don't they just you know they say you'll either lose them quick or they're just gonna be resistant to whatever you got to do and unless you're training them five days a week they're not going to do the stuff that you ask them to do outside of your sessions yeah yeah cool cool Awesome. All right. Number two, we want to discuss how nothing is linear. Yeah, I think that's uh, – so that applies to a couple of things. Um, and I think for anybody that has either worked with a trainer or is considering it or, you know, whatever, or anyone that's either in the industry and, you know, going through the hardships or considering it, I think from a business standpoint, it's very – it's not linear at all. And I don't think there's any trainer that would disagree with me in, in, in regards to, like, this ebb and flow. And it's probably very rare that you – start your career as a personal trainer and start out and build up your business and slow it first and then it just takes off and it's nothing but progression and improvement and it's nothing but client growth and more money as you go like there's going to be times where a couple of clients move away and you drop them and you, you change jobs and you go to a different place and you have to start over again you're going to learn new things that are going to kind of reframe how you think about training and you have to be okay with that you have to be okay with like looking at you know, how you're structuring your finances a little bit differently and knowing that you're not going to always make the same money every paycheck and some, sometimes it'll be high, sometimes it'll be low. Right. From a training standpoint, it's even more crucial because you, your, your client's progress is not going to be linear. You know, your training methodology can't even work that way. You know, like I think um, if you're thinking of, you know, simple, you know, volume versus load, you know, you're going to have clients where you can go through sets and reps and cycles where you're 
you know, slowly increasing weight, decreasing repetition. And that's great and all, but in any good program, there's a deload phase and then there's a reassessment phase. And there's, you know, you have to kind of look at like where they improved and where they didn't improve. And you have to restrat. Otherwise, if you keep trying to get them better and better and better, at some point, something's going to tweak. There's going to be either a minor or a major injury and then yeah. you're going to reset anyway. So I think I've just learned that over time, like if you don't build in a reset and, and a reassessment, the, the human body will do it for you. Uh, your client's body is going to be like, yep, can't do it. Got to start over right. and, and let's get back to it. So uh, I think those are two things I learned. I think from a business standpoint, you have to embrace that and know that. And I think from a training standpoint, you have to know that about your client, that their, their progress, whether it's through strength or through fat loss or whether through whatever, is going to have its ups and downs. And you have to be able to communicate that to them in a way that gets them to understand and feel comfortable with their results. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point because especially the, the part about the training aspect where nothing is linear. I feel like we get so caught up on obviously chasing those goals that we want to achieve so bad that mm. we we kind of fail to understand sometimes that, you know, we do need that timeout or a little reset or deload, whatever term you want to put on it. Um, yeah. Because it's like, okay, last week you did on this, let's add 10 more pounds. And, you know, that, that can work up to a certain point. But um, unless you're having an overall view of that person's uh, program and development, then you're going to, like you said, something's going to give, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like um, one thing I've learned over time, too, is that we, you know, you, you have to you have to train your client's body with theirs. You have to train your client with their body and not yours. I think any of us, a lot of us that are training, not that we're all like, you know, obviously, some of us are, you know, yourself and other people have had more success in athletics than myself. But we all at least have some athletic capability and maybe a little more of a knack for, you know, health and fitness than maybe your average person that's paying you to help them through it. Right, for sure. So our, our progress and our improvements and our recovery time is going to probably be a lot, literally a lot different from our clients. Yes. So I think that's where we have to keep that in mind. And, and, you know, when I think like, well, you know, I can move on to this next cycle right now. So I'm going to move my client on this next cycle. You probably need to take a little more, a closer look at your clients to see if it's time for that, if it's the right time for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I know for myself as a former athlete coming out of college you know, I was like, oh, yeah, everybody should be able to do what I'm able to do. And that right, is not right. the truth. <laughs> yep, yep, you learn real quick that's not the case. Um, yeah, it, it's an ego boost and a humbling experience at the same time yes. when, you, when you find out the hard way. So, very true, yeah. very true. Cool. Yeah. So I'm very interested to get uh, number three and your, your insight on this one. So every relationship is important. Yeah, I think – so one thing I've learned just in my time in Boston is that – which and it doesn't have to be in your city, but, you know, this is um, – you know, it's a calling. Being a being a strength coach, being a fitness professional, being it's 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 a bit of a calling, and it's kind of you know you're not gonna you gotta love it. So you're not gonna do it for that long if you don't really love it. You might try it, but because of that, I think we're I think we're all kind of very similar people, and so we become a kind of tight knit group. And I think you get to know a lot of people in the industry, whether it's broad and you know nationally or globally, or whether it's just within your city. So on one aspect, you know, this industry is kind of small, you know, Boston's a small city in terms of like just knowing other coaches, trainers, professionals, managers, you know, people in the industry. And, and I think just being respecting each relationship you build, no matter how big or small, uh, can go a really long way, you know, for your career and also just for the success of like your clients, you know, like, and then I think your relationship with your clients, I mean, that's, that's the most important, you know, more than anything else. I think it all comes down to trust. You know, I think even physically, not to get too like too deep, but I think you, let's say you're trying to get somebody to pick up a heavyweight off the ground, right? They, this is not someone who's ever lift, deadlifted 225, but you know that this is their time in their cycle to try this new PR attempt, and it, you know it's safe, you know they're good. But if that client, if that person's confidence is rattled and they mentally can't check into that, they, um, you know, they're at risk. You know, yeah. they're not going to, their, their cues are going to go, they're not going to pull properly. But if they're, but if they're, they trust their trainer because the relationship is strong, yeah. they're fine. And I think li even on a small scale, little things like that make a difference out on the strength floor or make a difference out in whatever you're doing. But it also makes a difference in just how you, like how you feel throughout the day. You know, my coworker right now, great guy, Marco Sanchez, uh, we co-managed the um, um, Equinox Sports Club together in, on Avery Street, former Boyle guy, but he, um, you know, he says this a lot where he talks about just your client relationship and you trust with them. And he's like, you know, if you've been doing this a while, you know, and you keep your clients, he goes, you know, not that I don't want new clients, but I don't like taking on new people as much as I love just training the clients I've had forever. And if you're a good trainer and you, your clients trust you, you'll keep your clients. Yeah. So after a while, you're literally just showing up at the gym, you're training your friends, make sure they're doing the right form, and that's it. 
Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's been my experience the same. You know, it's, it's, those relationships go a long way and they, as much as they benefit the client, they benefit the trainer, I think, even more. Exactly. exactly. And uh, shout out to Marco. I, I just saw that he was leaving Boils and he had that, that job lined up at Equinox. And the fact that you two are working together is, is, uh, is pretty cool right now. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. So far, so good. Uh, yeah, he hasn't pissed me off yet. So far. <laughs> <laughs> he told me to give you a shot. I mentioned you, but yeah, he, uh, yeah. Okay, very um, good, very good. Yeah, he's big, on the, he's big on the boil camp. Yeah. Now, just just kind of before we leave, point number three there about relationships, what, um, what are some of the mistakes you've seen maybe new trainers or new coaches make down through the years with clients that perhaps they tried to maybe have their clients do something and it was too early in the relationship or you know just something that kind of really stuck out to you not that we're trying to throw anybody on the bus or anything but just like no i'll um, say i'll name names so first uh (laughs) well they definitely 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 banging your clients too early in the training relationship no (laughs) there's like a two-month you know wait period at least the two-month grace period right right it's in the it's in the paperwork where you sign um i think well okay not we're obviously joking but uh I, I got that advice early on, not that I asked for it, but I got this unsolicited advice from a couple of the trainers that just said, like, you know, don't, don't mix business with pleasure. And it seemed like common sense and I, you know, applied as best I could, but and I, and I've seen, I've seen trainers just like struggle when they, they let that slip. Yeah. But not to stay on that topic too long. I think to your point and to the question, I think some mistakes I've seen trainers make is mistaking a good friendly rapport with now I'm training my buddy and I could be unprofessional. Yeah. You know, so if you have a good rapport with your client and they're cool with you and you guys laugh the entire time and it's an awesome hour and it's great and you're getting paid for it and it's whatever, you, like, you're, they're still paying you, right? So you're still showing up on time. Right. You know, you're still accountable. You're not canceling on them just because you're 6.30 canceled and they're your 5.30 and you don't feel like going back to the gym. You know, you're still programming properly for them. You're still caring about their goals and their results. You know, like, you're not taking the relationship for granted. Um, and I've seen that happen you know, a number of occasions. And, you know, it, it, you see those trainers that kind of go through a lot of up and down and struggle with client retention. They don't know why. And I also think, like, just kind of on a similar note, just just respecting boundary a little bit. You know, it's great. You, you make great friends. Like, I have some of my closest friends were clients of mine. Um, literally, truly, like, some of my best, best friends are people that are still in my life because we met through fitness and we met through our training relationship. And whether they, I still train them or not, we still are, are close. But, you know, in the same regard, you don't want to overset boundaries, you know. Um, yeah. And, and I think sometimes it's it's little things. Like, again, it's remembering that you're still at your job, even though it may not always feel like it. Yeah. Um, so that client that says, like, hey, you're more than welcome to, you know, use my summer beach house. They may be sincere and they may mean it, but you still want to make sure that you're maintaining that professional relationship. And taking them off on that summer beach house may mean, like, a little walk when I try to charge you for canceling on me within inside 24 hours. So little things like that, you yeah. got to keep it in mind. Yeah, exactly. And there is that distinct line of, we're cool, we laugh and joke every session, but make no mistake, you still need to be professional and, like you said, respect what they're coming to you for and not just kind of fall into this mode of like, oh, we're buddies and I can kind of do whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, yeah, number four, always assume you still don't know shit. I like this one. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just life, man. I don't know. Uh, I I think we... We're always. I think if the second you think that you've got every answer and you, you know, you, you should doesn't think, you know, you you you'll you'll lose that passion quick. I think you know from a, a training standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, and knowledge standpoint. I think um, that need to always learn and grow and expand. Whether it's expanding your toolbox or whether it's getting more specific to your specific area of practice, I think we're we're literally always learning. You know, there's always new research. There's always new methodologies out there. Somebody figured out something that no one else figured out before, and maybe it's just like hold the kettlebell this way or whatever. These bullshit, you know, you know, green teas actually work. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> whatever it is, like if you're still seeking knowledge, you you still get excited about something new that you can bring to the table that you can share. And I think it's just it just it refreshes you and gets you out of that rut. You know, it, the worst feeling is if you start getting bored with what you're doing. You're kind of doing the same routine, the same workouts, and the same programs. You know, it gets a little bit stale. Yeah. Um, and if it's getting stale for you, it's probably getting a little stale for your clients. So that, that increase in knowledge and that, that need to expand, I think it just makes us better coaches and better trainers. You know, I think, like, the, shout out again to, like, Marco. I think I, when I think of guys like, you know, yourself, I think of, like, T-Bomb and all those guys out in the training room and, like, all those people that we know that just, like, push continuing get so much and are always learning and are always, like, you know, you have all the certs you need, you have a full book of clients, but you're still going to drop two grand and go get, you know, 
go get an RKC a strong first serve. You're still going to go out there and travel and do something and just experience something new. Right. It just makes you a better coach and it brings more to the table for you. Yeah, yeah. And kind of like what you said at the, at the very beginning of that point, I feel like it's uh, not only a really good philosophy for a coach or trainer, but also just generally in life too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think, I think whether it's your, your work profession or it's just like, you know, whether you're a parent, you just want to be a better parent, whether you're a spouse, you want to be a better husband or wife. You know, I think just as we want to just improve ourselves, I think that just makes us, you know, I think wanting to be a better person will make you a better person. Yeah. Uh, if you lose that desire, then, you know. You <laughs> exactly. It's, um, it really is one of those things where, you know, there's been points where I've gone to a lot of continuing ed seminars and, you know, after a while you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know quite a bit of stuff. And you get a little comfortable mm. and you think you have it down. And then maybe you go back to another seminar and you're like, yeah, I don't know anything. So let's just yeah. continue this journey of learning as much as we can. You know? <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. Sometimes you kind of, you kind of, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. It really it's is. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's needed. And you definitely gain more from wanting to get better instead of just kind of sitting there thinking, I'm good. I know everything there is to know. So, yeah. Um, cool. Number five, take care of number one. So you're number one. Right. You're number one. What's, you know, that's yourself, you know, taking care of yourself. I think this is, um, yeah. So Rita, Rita one time put this really well. And there was one we were working together at BSC and she, I forget one of us was bitching and moaning about how tired we felt. And she said, you just got to remember that, like, I don't think you realize this, but you're the entire time that you're training your client, you're training someone that has to hire a professional to make them exercise. It doesn't mean they're not motivated. They are, but like, whether it's through the coaching or whether it's through just being like a cheerleader or whether it's whatever, you're, you're giving them your energy to get them through this workout. Yeah. You're not physically doing the work for them, but you're doing a lot of the emotional and mental work. And, and it's great. Like not all of us can do that, but I think some of us just have that calling, that ability and that need, that need to share. But because your job is literally about everybody else, it's very easy to get lost in that and forget about yourself. So whether it's your own workouts, whether it's your own just general health, whether it's, you know, just life, like travel and family and things like that. You know, we, you know, you get paid by the hour, you want to work more hours, you know, you want to be a good trainer, be reliable. It's very easy to get sucked up into that and not like take time off when you need to take time off or get your workouts in when you want to get your workouts in or, you know, plan to take the days off you need to take off instead of going into the gym on a sixth or seventh day of the week just to get a couple of sessions in. Right. You know, you, you'll burn out fast and hard but it's going to hit you out of nowhere you know there's certain everybody has certain exercises where if you think of like a flat okay i don't know why and correct me if i'm wrong maybe this is just me i always felt like if you're doing a bar like a flat bench press if you're going like eight reps by rep six or seven you know that eight is real questionable and you need that spot right right for some reason on the incline press you don't get a warning like if you're on the incline barbell press <laughs> you're like no, i got this, this i got true. this i got three more six and all of a sudden, seven just stays down. Um, like, that's not better to be ready because you can't just say, like, help me out. Like, you yeah. got to know that you need help. And I feel like that that works the same way when you hit that wall as a trainer. Yeah. You don't see it coming. You know, you're going to be thinking things are great. You're going to be happy with the money you're making. You're going to be happy with, like, the clients you have and the results you're getting. But if you're letting your own sanity, your own family, your own whatever slip and you're not taking care of it, like, one day you're just going to get up and be like, I, I can't do this shit. Yeah. So... Early on, even if it doesn't feel like you need the time, always allot that time for yourself. It doesn't mean you don't want to be in the club. It doesn't mean you don't want to make money. It doesn't mean you don't want to be there for your clients. But just remember, like, prioritize the things that got you into this industry in the first place. It's like the things that you were passionate about, whether that's continuing ed, whether that's your workouts, whether that's competition of some sort. You know, and make time for family. You know, make time for the things that are life outside of the gym. This, this job can really suck you into it. You know, you can get, the, the gym can be a vortex that just pulls you inside yeah. and uh, and you've got to step out on a regular basis and make sure you check back into it, back into life. Yeah. I, I feel like the, uh, the incline bench press analogy is very appropriate because <laughs> <laughs> it's like you said, like out of nowhere, that thing just shuts down on you. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Okay. Okay. So it's not just me. It's no, just me. Definitely like, maybe that's my own structure, my own body, but that was, <laughs> that was the best way I could put it. You're like four or five. I'm cruising here. Six. Yeah, no, I'm cruising. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Help, please. Yeah. But isn't it ironic, you know, as coaches and trainers, how we're obviously tasked to look after the health of other people or contribute to the health of other people, and we kind of put our own health on the line because we're prioritizing schedule and money sometimes ahead of actually looking after ourselves. 
Oh, 100%. I think, well, I, here's the thing. There's not, you can go to college to be like an exercise science major. You can be, you know, a kinesiologist. You can, you can learn how to coach people. Yeah. And you can study a certification to understand anatomy and programming. But there's not really, like, you don't learn how to run your business as a trainer until you do it. Yeah. And unless you have really good mentors and unless you have, like really do your research, like, you know, and unless you already have those skills built in, there are plenty of trainers that have built up and, and sustained that work-life balance really, really well and they do a great job of it and they're still extremely successful. But if you haven't been taught or if you don't have that built in, it's, it can be really hard for a lot of people. So you, you very much nickel and dime yourself with your sessions and, you know, it's it, you ride that wave. Some of it is the money and some of it is just like you feel – this confidence and this like appreciation that like so many people trust you to train them that you don't want to turn clients away, you know, and it's, you, you need to look ahead of that and space out that time for yourself and make sure that you're still, you know, taking time off, taking breaks, working out, you know, having a normal day. Yeah. Uh, we're also, we're, we're one of those few jobs where, you know, for the most part, we're training people when they're not working. So we're in the club first thing, crack of dawn, and a lot of us are in either back again in the evening or straight through and train people after work. And our clients are going in and doing a nine to five and then their schedule is a little more predictable and it's, it's more set. So it, it's harder for us to really map out that time, but we've got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. yeah. And some of it is just the industry itself, to be honest. Like I think, you know, we were built into an industry where it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's commission based for the most part, depending right. on where you go. And sometimes it's different, but you know, if you're getting, if it's kind of eat what you kill, you're going to want to put in those hours um, as opposed to if you just had a little structure and you could work a salary position, it'd be a little bit different, but that's probably for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely learned that the hard way as in relation to kind of, you know, striking that work and personal life balance, because there was a, there was a time there at BAC where I was just getting loaded up. I was like, all right, fill the schedule. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So I would literally finish at 10 PM. My last session was at 9 PM. So finish at 10 home around 10 30. And I was back in for 5 a.m., right? Yeah. And I was so sleep-deprived at one point, And I had this long, well, actually, pretty new client. And for the, the session I had the next morning at 5 a.m., I was so sleep-deprived, I was calling him by a different name. Uh, <laughs> okay. His name was Saren, and I was calling him Orson. <laughs> now, in your defense, did you have a client named Orson? I didn't, but <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew it like the, you know some of those letters were in there somewhere. You know, I was just trying to piece it together. So um, my my brain just wasn't able to pull it together. That was my warning sign to basically okay, yeah. you need to cut back basically. So yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, the booking and schedule can be killer, but uh, yeah, and it's it's tough. It's tough to turn that down. It's tough to balance that out. Right. But again, that I think that goes back to where I was saying before that nothing's linear. We'll 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 take a dip in our business at times, and we'll want to take on clients we normally wouldn't take at times we wouldn't normally do, because we think like, well, if I don't take this now, I'm never going to get it. Right. But the longer I've been in the industry, the more I realize like if you if you care about what you do and you hold yourself to a high standard, like that shows. Like your clients know that, people in the gym know that, your colleagues know that. And if you put in the time and the work, you'll get referrals, you'll get leads, you'll get people out there. You might take a little dip in business for a minute, but you know, don't sacrifice yourself and your schedule completely just because you're you're having a little bit of a scare. Like, put in the time, put in the work, do the outreach, do the continuing ed. Your clients will come back. You know, your new clients will come in, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, great advice, great advice. Cool. All right, so we are going to kind of switch it up here because we are in the process, myself, yourself, and uh, my good friend, Eddie McMahon, we are launching mm -hmm. uh, Ain't No Half 7, a 90s yes, hip-hop podcast. Yes, sir. And so I'm just going to ask you some questions because obviously we, we now know that you are uh, a New York native. And, yes, sir. Uh, I just want to see, like, was there anyone that you saw growing up in, you know, 90s or 2000s era Maybe before they kind of blew up, but you knew they were going to be a special talent. Are you talking about live? Or are you talking about just in general, like just just? Well, it just could be. It could be either or. Yeah. I'd say not in terms of blowing up. You know, I didn't really start hitting up shows and things like that until like probably after college. Okay. I think when I was in school, I got to see like I got to see a great tour with like Common, De La Soul, and um, Slick Rick, and and uh, all those guys on campus. I saw Black Moon like on my campus, just performing on stage okay. out in the field. Like it was uh, so some great artists that I was already following, but. 
I think one thing that was probably a little bit special about my era was if you were in New York in like the 90s at all and you ever listened to like Stretch and Bobbito um, on the radio, you get to hear these guests come on that you just didn't really know anything about them, but you get to hear the talent. And so for those that don't know, uh, Stretch and Bobbito, there's actually a Netflix special on there. There is. Uh, That's awesome. And it's it's awesome. But it was for me, it's like super nostalgic because I would like, I'd be up like it was Thursdays at I want to say like 1 a.m. and the show would go on until four in the morning. <laughs> and so like during the summer when I didn't have to be up the next day for school or anything, yeah. like I would just have my I'd have cassettes in the thing just recording the shit. And um, do you still have? And them? you would just I don't still have any of them. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh. They, they, you know, lost in the fire. But, <laughs> um, but they with along with a bunch of other mixtapes I used to have. But you'd hear these artists coming in, and some of them you'd know, and they'd like bring a frame being guest. I think the, one of the funniest was the time that I heard. You can actually find this on Spotify if you look around for this song, but there was an artist named Big L. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, you know, he got killed years back, but brilliant MC from Harlem. And he was on. He was the featured guest on Stretch and Bobbito, and he was, they were going to have him come on and talk a little bit about his album coming up and things like that. And they're like, oh, and you brought a guest with you, right? You got your, your friend with you. We'll let him spill a little bit too. Go ahead. And like, what's your name? He goes, yeah, I go by Jay-Z. Right. It was like before anyone knew who Jay-Z was. Yeah. And I'm hearing this guy, and I was like, oh, they're both pretty dope. And I actually was like more interested in Big L just because like, I knew who he was. Yeah. But you would never expect that that's like this dude that's just like somebody's buddy on, yeah. you know, they just like they let him tag along on this thing. And he had had like, I think, um, I think he had like one single out of the time and Hawaiian Sophie had already come out years before. But that was just a cool moment to look back to because I remember hearing that live and then like looking back and, and seeing it now. And same with Big Pun. I think when Fat Joe brought Big Pun on to stretch my beat, uh, and the first time you heard Big Pun like spit, it was just like, oh, this dude is amazing. Yeah. And I was just like, this guy's going to blow up. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sure as shit he did. All right. So those are, those are two examples of the big artists that like I probably heard before and just had the privilege to just be in the right place, right time and listening at two, three in the morning. Um, and just hear them before anybody really knew who they were. We were all listening at the same time, and then, you know, months, years later, we witnessed right. this. Right. Yeah. The um, the Stretch of Babito documentary is awesome, and we got some insight into that back home. Like we got some excerpts on the, the BBC Radio One rap show and stuff like that. So we kind of got yeah. a little, little picture of what it was. But yeah. the uh, the the segment you just mentioned between. Uh, Big L and Jay Z, because Jay Z is like, yeah, I just came from the club. The cops shut it down, you know, stuff <laughs> <laughs> so like this. It was hectic, man. It was hectic. Yeah. <laughs> you sound shook. What's with this guy? Uh, yeah. But that that is crazy to see how far Jay Z has come, and also like think about how how much Big L could have taken off too, right? So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's crazy to look back and see that. It's uh, it's fantastic to have those memories and Justin Barbito, like those guys, just put so many artists on blast and. You know, they were obviously in that era where they weren't making any money either. Right. No, not at all. And uh, a lot of artists obviously went on to make a lot of money from, you know, signing deals and stuff. Whereas these guys who were just doing it for the love of the music were kind of left high and dry. But, you know, I mean, that, that's just what it was, right? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, I don't know if there's necessarily like how these were artists that would like say put on, I think, in that New York, like, you know, little world, that little globe of ours during that time. Because, you know, it brought it to New Yorkers, but if you weren't in the city, you weren't listening to Stretch and Bobbito, you didn't really hear it until later. Yeah. But I think it just gave them like a platform. It gave them a little pump, a little voice. I think I think a lot of those artists were talented enough they were going to blow up either way. Right. And I think I think Stretch and, and Bobbo each found their voice in the path either, either way. Like they, they right. found the calling. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy for them. But it was, I mean, definitely like I was spoiled. I think it's one of those things. I think I think I was, if you grew up in that era and that was your era of music and you're a hip-hop uh, listener, I think you were spoiled to have to live through that and to experience it firsthand. So I definitely appreciate that. The, uh, the back and forth between Lord Seer and Big Pun. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. oh, yeah. Yeah. Like your forearm oh, looks God. like the belly of a pit bull. <laughs> I think that was part of it. I think if you just listen to the dialogue of the show, like that was half the fun. You felt like you were invited to this party that nobody knew about. Yeah. Because they were just between takes and between songs, they would just talk shit. But they would drop and they and they would drop songs and like albums and B sides that you just hadn't heard before. So like I'd record the stuff and I'd go back. I was going to college in Vegas at the time, so I'd go back to college and I'd be playing my tapes in my car. And my friends would be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh," and I'd be like, and I, you know, I'd act like I knew, like, "Ah, oh, this is somebody named Jay Z. I don't know, he's with Big L." And I'd like, you know, talk like I knew, but it yeah, was yeah. happened to record the show. But it was just, it was just really cool to experience that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to look back and I still have those memories. Um, kind of comparing the '90s era to today, mm. what would you say is like the biggest difference for you between those two? Obviously, they're they're massive difference, but what would you say, in your opinion, is 
the biggest difference between? I think it's hard to say. I think I think there's a few things. One, I think we have way more subgenres of hip hop, right? So, I think if you go back to the '90s, you had kind of commercial pop, like you know, it's rap. You know, you'll hear it a lot. You'll hear it in commercials, but you know, a hip hop listener's not playing it on their on the Walkman or anything like that. Right. And like the the biggest difference you had in like in like the nineties was probably like, is it East Coast or West Coast? Like that's yeah. it was just like, you know, is the style or the sound more or and then it was like, you know, then the South had their noise and the sound. So it was like but for the most part it was it is it like kind of New York boom bap or is it kind of, you know, death roast sound or is it gonna be something southern? You know, if you were really a, a big like you know, April MJG fan, or if you're really big into, you know, any of the Cash Money guys, like that had its own thing. Yeah. And I think that was kind of cool because that started to branch out and show that we have different styles and so, you know songs and voices. Uh, but that's I think that's the biggest difference. I think now it's like it's so all over the place, and in, in a good way. But now you have, you know, guys doing trap music. You have guys that kind of do a little bit of a neo soul. You have guys that are still pretty gritty and boom bap and underground, and then you have guys that are kind of somewhere in the mid ground where it's they're a little bit progressive and it's almost like it sounds like you're in a rave listening to somebody spit over the trans beats. So, but in a good way, it's cool. I think it's cool to have the variety and it's cool for people to experiment, but I think it's also easier for artists to get lost in the shuffle. So it, it takes more work and they have to, and there's so many more platforms than to reach out to to get known. But I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest difference. I, I don't, I don't actually knock current music. I think, I think a lot of it is really good. There's a lot of really great artists out there right now. Yeah. But I think you have to like do a little more digging or work a little harder to find it now than back then where you could just like, from the radio and just listen to the newest whatever. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Now, do you think that there's maybe too much of a reliance on the, you know, the, the party tracks, the, uh, you know, get money, you know, I'm, I'm wearing all this bling type music instead of, like, maybe something that's a little bit more profound? I think that's, I think it's more palatable. I don't think that's, I don't think that's ever been any different. Right. I think since the start of hip-hop, Maybe not star, I'm probably exaggerating. But I think since if you go back to the 90s and 80s, stuff that was popular was just party songs, right? Nobody's going to the club because they want to, like, you know, think about our state of oppression. Like, right. they yeah. want to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, people are going to the club because they want to shake the ass. They want to, like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they want to get out there. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they want to dance. They want to have fun. And so if the lyrics are just kind of repetitive and it's just the beats there and it's just whatever and it's lighthearted. I mean that's that's gonna get some attention, some press, and some love, you know. So it's just a matter of what you're what you're looking for. I don't think it's any different now than it was, you know, ten, twenty years ago. I think it's I think this, you know, this was the same. This was the debate. This was me in in senior year in college, you know, talking to people and arguing over artists having content and the lyrics versus artists talking about bling and ice and this and that. I you know. It'd be nice if you saw more people take a, a use their platform for a social stance, but I think hip hop is one of those genres because it is black music. Is that expectation is put upon it um, that that's and that, that's not there in other genres of music. You know, like nobody's like, you know, looking at Taylor Swift and being like, you need to be way more political. You need to up the <laughs> like white white folks are struggling and you need to do something about it. Like they don't they don't have that they yeah. have that luxury to just make their music. And I yeah. think with hip hop, it's like. There's always that little element of like, all right, have fun and be a little like out there, but you know, if you go too far or whatever, like, what about the people? What about us? What about our struggle? Right. It's right. great when artists can express that, and I feel that, and that's probably the music I appreciate the most. Um, but I think it's also just something that's that's unique to yeah. our yeah. art form. That's a, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. This is a question I've been looking forward to asking you. Which artists uh, do you believe have stood the test of time from the '90s to now? I'm always gonna say Black Thought. Hands down. Anytime yeah. we talk about this stuff, I'm gonna. That's gonna be my number one MC, um, probably all time. I, I'm almost. I'd say Dead or Alive. Uh, I might lose my Brooklyn, my Brooklyn card by not putting Biggie as the number one artist of all time with Jay. But uh, that's one. I think the Roots in general have been extremely progressive and have, have carved lanes and, and niches in, in ways that you wouldn't expect. You know, for someone to be, for a band to be like a late night house band, but also be like one of the biggest bands in music. And you know, I mean, I've seen them live countless times, and they're like. Just, just, just a force. But that's an MC who was always nice and has literally gotten better. Like every single time he comes out with something, it's like better and better and better and better, and it like just keeps elevating the bar. And I, I don't think anyone can reach it, to be honest. Right. As far as just in general, just saying the test of time, and it's funny because some of them are the people you know. There's your obvious, like your Jay Zs and your Wu Tangs, but I'd say like you know, MOP still puts out content that's just amazing and they, they're solid every time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, 
you know, when you do get a rare Andre 3000 appearance, you know, he, he never disappoints. There's a few they've really think back, they've been out there forever and they're still putting out quality music. It, you know, it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And of course, you look at you look at a Jay-Z, you look at a Ghost and Ray, you look at any of those guys, and yeah. they're still they're still pumping it out, whether it's mainstream or not, and, and it still sounds amazing. Yeah. The um I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure I saw a documentary on the Dungeon Family on Netflix too. Okay. But it basically, yeah, kind of told the story of the Dungeon Family, and for anyone who's not familiar, like, basically, outcasts come from that group of MCs, and... Right. Um, goody, goody Mob. Goody Mob, yeah, the whole, um, all those guys together, and they basically made a lot of their early stuff in, I think it may, may have been, I think, Andre 3000, base, or his mother's basement, mm, yeah. and they were just hanging out there, they slept there, <laughs> you know, they recorded, yeah. recorded songs there, yeah. And, uh, you know, once they blew up then and everybody kind of got a deal, they obviously made their way out. But uh, it's crazy where the beginnings actually began. So, you know. Yeah. Everybody's got to, you know, everybody's, everybody's, yeah. everybody's got to be Jay-Z in that Estrella Stretch of Albedo being that weird dude. <laughs> big, old, big old friend. Please let me spit a freestyle. Exactly. Everybody, exactly. everybody has that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which artists would you would you love to see return that maybe we haven't heard from in a while? Mm. Mm. That's a good one. I wouldn't mind seeing Grand Pooba step in the ring. He always, he was, he was always nice and always entertaining me a little bit. So I wouldn't mind seeing Grand Pooba. I'd love to, you know, this is a little bit of sweet because I'd love to hear a little more from like the entire like Black Moon crew and and um, you know Smith and Wesson. I was shout Smith and Wesson. They just dropped an album, mm-hmm. but you know I think of like Helter Skelter. You know we still have the Rock. We don't have the Rock. Um, that was that was heartbreaking. And then. I don't know anybody else. Honestly, there's a lot of guys still putting stuff out. Yeah. I think I think I'd love to see another like like take your time with it and then put it out. Ghost and Ray, like you know, collab like a only only built for Kublinks again. I think yeah. you know, they did a great job with it a few years ago. Uh, I love to see them put something else out. First that comes to mind. Those are the first that come to mind. I think for me. Right, right. I will say last night, apart from obviously um, Ghost and Raekwon getting the biggest uh, ovation of the night, but in the warm-up set, the DJ dropped Farrell Monch for a couple of songs, and mm. the place just exploded, man. It was, mm. Mm. yeah. I mean, everybody knows, you know, you yeah. get the fuck up, but um, yeah, there was there was a couple of joints that really took the roof off. So, it was yeah, good to see. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a little uh, organized confusion reunion would be, would be pretty sweet. Also, shout out to the artifacts. Uh, that'd be a dope, a dope return. Yeah, um, I think those guys are very slept on. They only put out a couple of albums, but they were dope. Yeah, all right. Which current artists would you say have been maybe as just as impactful maybe as some of those guys from the golden era that we discussed? How they impactful? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I... yeah, impa- impactful. I say Kendrick. Um, okay. I think he's a good balance of like talent, but also like relevance, and you know that's someone who could definitely definitely get the social message across. But he's just a super super talented MC. So that's the first person to mind. I'm a huge Kendrick fan. You know, shouts to him. Shouts to like you know a J Cole or any of those guys that you know. Their content means a lot to them, but they they also have a broad reach. You know, like um, you know, your J Cole's, your Chance the Rappers. You know, those guys. I think of, uh, I found them fairly impressive. Right. So yeah, if you're talking impact and, and relevance, I'd say that's that's probably top three that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then the last one I've got for you today, and probably the one I've been looking forward to the most. <laughs> okay. Which artists today would never survive a second back then? Any of the littles, <laughs> any of the littles. You take every single pink hair, tatted face, little little something, and put them in a bag and drop them in the nineties, and they would get this shit kicked. Up oh times my god! Um, not no no disrespect. I, I I you know everybody gets their money and cars their lane, and I'm I'm happy someone can find a way to do it. You know, there's an audience for everything, but like I just between the it, more than the music than anything else, it's not so much the image. It's 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 cool that we can like have people just have like kind of a weird crazy image now and it's embraced. But I think just the music is very just whatever, you know, like yeah. it, 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 it gets what it gets for now, it works now, but it, you, you drop that, pull that cab over and drop one of them dudes off from bed style <laughs> and, and, like, and he's back then bed style, not, not bed style now, not, not yoga studio, crappy bed style, but you know, grimy, yes. throw-in Myrtle bed style. Before the gentrification took place, yeah. Oh my God, you have no idea, that place was not sweet. But yeah, I think I, I, so. I, I don't have one artist. I'd say yeah. like that whole movement. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw a great. I think it was on Twitter. Somebody, it was I, it was some artist I never heard of. It was a little, little something. I don't whatever. And 
it was some report like, oh, video, live video of him getting beat up in Rockford's chain. And somebody tweeted and said, how many of these does America have? That's perfect. Because I can't keep track. Unfortunately, a couple of these littles are white guys not doing us any favor in the rap game. So uh, you can hand in your card at the end of this season. So. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know when to stop. You knew to stop the tall teams. Exactly. I was like, I can't pull that off. I can't. They, they, they took it too far. Quick thoughts on 6 9 and his uh, pending court case, I, I guess. Yes, I haven't found too much. I haven't found too, too much. I don't know the details yeah. of the case that well. Would he fall um, into that category for you? To go guys uh, that wouldn't kind of survive yeah. tonight? Yeah. I mean, just, just from an image standpoint, his music is kind of just whatever. It's, it, it, you know, he's got a couple songs that have a little, you know, they're a little catchy and, and they're not bad. You know, again, it's, it's not necessarily my taste, but it's not bad. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a artist that got a little money real quick and he's loud and opinionated and brash and so I I, I think he definitely would have got the shit out of him. <laughs> he's exactly. not a big man. Yeah. He's not a big man and he's talked a lot of shit. So I think, you know, all court cases and all that stuff aside, you know, you catch him in the club at the wrong th- wrong night, wrong time, he was gonna catch it. So okay. yeah, if I have the case, I won't speak of the case because I don't know I don't know enough about it. I haven't right. dug into it. Okay. Um, I haven't had a strong enough interest but but yeah, but he'd, he'd probably he'd probably fall in that category. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anybody with, nobody, nobody with rainbow hair was surviving. <laughs> That's right. That's true. You're not. No, you're not getting a luck in. So, yeah, yeah. All right, my man. This has been uh, this has been really good. Cool, man. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time today. Okay, thank you for having me, man. It's honestly really truly been a pleasure and honor. Yeah, and uh, I really really appreciate you putting together those those talking points. I think it's a lot of really good advice in there for just people in general and especially coaches to look at and kind of digest, especially if they're early on in their career as well and kind of taking it on board and learning from that will be good. So uh, thank you for that, yeah. Of course, man. Anytime, anytime. Cool, cool. All right, so you're going to hear from Danny and myself soon enough on Ain't No Half Steppin'. Uh, look out for that, and we'll obviously be putting stuff on social media, letting you guys know when our first episode is coming out. And, uh, yeah, until then, Danny, thanks for joining me again, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Photos of Health. Cool, thank you, sir. Appreciate it.